Ahoy, it's your boy, and welcome to episode 29 of the podcast, This Is M, which you can subscribe to everywhere you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, preferably. You can connect with the show on Instagram and Twitter at ThisIsMPod. You can find the website at ThisIsMPod.com, and you can email us at ThisIsMPod at gmail.com. Do you see a trend, folks? Are you connecting the dots? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Are you digging what I'm saying like a grave? Are you smelling what the rock is cooking? Man, 29. Episode 29 of the podcast. Knocking on the door at Dirty 30, dude. Uh, we are almost three quarters of the way through the third week of quarantine for COVID-19, a.k.a. the coronavirus. And, <sighs> you know, I don't think it came up on the last episode because I probably recorded the same day. But um, at the end of last week, I was feeling really focused. I was doing a lot of schoolwork. Um and uh, I felt good. You know, the first uh, week and a half or so was pretty depressing. Uh, I think we ha- we all had that first wave of panic, not really knowing what was going on and how things were going to pan out and worrying about resources, et cetera, et cetera. And even though the number of cases of coronavirus are increasing, um, I think we're all settling into our new lifestyle, you know. So going to the grocery store once a week, otherwise staying pretty chill. Um, but this week has been difficult and I feel lackadaisical and, uh, here in the Bay area, they've just extended the shelter in place for another month, which is absolutely the right thing to do. Um, I think anyone who thought it was actually going to end on April, uh, I think it was ninth, eighth or ninth or something was living in a goddamn dream world. So yeah, of course we're going to be sheltering in place for much longer. And, uh, I mean the first thing I, you know, my girlfriend texted me that actually. I think I was working when they announced it and she texted it to me and I, and, um, you know, I, I think I really have to start thinking seriously about how I'm going to, you know, do things to improve my mood. And, um, you know, I've mentioned that I drive between here and my girlfriend's place. Um, but, uh, I need to start running. I need to start going for walks. I need to start getting some fresh air. Um, but you guys are probably like me, you know, it's depressing. It's, um, I mean, I, you know, just a few weeks ago, my life was so structured and not as structured as many people, to be fair. I mean, I can only speak from my experience, but, um, you know, what a, I feel blessed not to have children in this time. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, it's like fucking being in a, um, I don't know, a a bunker with your family that can be, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm just glad I don't live in close quarters with anyone, let alone my children, but, um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I was working till midnight. I was, I would go home. I'd get a few hours of sleep before having to wake up at six thirty to go to class. And, uh, you know, I'd be in school most of the day and, uh, before going to work and, you know, my life was just hyper structured and, um, you sort of have a singular sense of purpose. You know, you don't have time to let your mind wander cause you have to focus on what's coming up in your day or on the schedule. And uh, that was just fucking exploded in one day. And so, you know, being home have a, being home ha- has its benefits, you know, for a domesticated person like myself. But it's like my mood is just like, yeah, it's been difficult. I'm feeling depressed. Um, and it's like I know exactly what I need to do, you know, go for a run, get some exercise, get some sun. And uh, I just, I mean, that's what it you know, that's one of the key components of depression. I mean, it's not a lack of insight. You know what you need to be doing, but you just don't have the motivation to do it. You know, it's much easier to just focus on more drumming or, um, uh, watch more stuff on streaming, uh, even doing homework. You know, I have to put this PowerPoint presentation together for my site class and I even have to shoot a video, which is, uh, not fun. But, um, yeah, again, though, I mean, it may sound a little hollow because I don't, I don't know, this isn't really emanating from me. I don't feel it genuinely in my bones in this moment, but generally, you know, I, I feel pretty blessed overall. I'm, I'm lucky that I am able to keep working. And, uh, but yeah, it's also, yeah, it's also hard living in a time where everything is so monomaniacally focused on coronavirus. Um, I think part of that's out of necessity, but I also think a lot of it is just, 
You know, I don't know. I said this to my girlfriend over dinner. We were making Brussels sprouts last night, which is uh, sort of funny, but I don't know how Brussels sprouts get such a bad rap. And at, for, from someone who's a, I mean, I am absolutely a picky eater. You know, I wasn't forced to eat a lot of foods growing up, so I've had to spend most of my adult life like forcing myself to try new foods and expand my palate. And of all the things that people, you know, purport to dislike, Brussels sprouts is like, I don't understand how you cannot like it. You know, there's really not much to not much to it. It's like saying you don't like jicama. It's like it's just um, mass and water. Do you know what I mean? It's like celery. It's like how could you not like Brussels sprouts? You know, caviar I can understand, or um, I don't know, even something with a sort of, um, for, at least from a kid's perspective, a kind of weird. I don't know if it's substance or visual. Like you know, with food they say the first bite is with the eye. Like. Um, beets, I can kind of understand. Not that beets taste awful, but I can understand being a little wary of it. You know what I mean? Um, and I don't know. I'm trying to think of something else crazy, but nothing's coming to mind. Pomegranate, I could see being kind of weird for people. <laughs> um, what else? I don't know why. I'm thinking my girlfriend just bought this literally like a fucking... Um, like a fucking... I don't know. I, I don't know. It's my, my, my girlfriend bought a shit ton of fish sauce. You know what I'm saying? She like found this recipe that needed like two tablespoons of fish sauce. And the only thing she could find in the, in the grocery store was this fucking, I don't know. It's like a, it looks like a liter of fish sauce. I was fucking laughing at her. Anyway, I was thinking of things that are kind of gross. Fish sauce is one of those. If you let your, if you try to get your kid to eat fish sauce and just like wa- wa- wafted, is that the word? Wafted the bottle under their nose, they'd fucking, their whole body would pucker. Do you know what I mean? So, a little fish sauce goes a long way. But, um, dude, what the fuck was I talking about? Why was I talking about Brussels sprouts? Um, I I think I was saying something about talking to my girlfriend over dinner. And what were we talking about? Feeling blessed? No, it was this, um, look, I think we're doing all the right things. I think the quarantine, or the, uh, the shelter in place is the right thing to do. Um, and I feel glad that here in the Bay Area, I mean, we were one of the early adopters. And, um... You know, that's a weird thing to boast about, but, uh, you know, when you're, when, when something like that takes place, I think your initial response is to sort of freak out because you think, oh shit, look at these drastic measures we're having to take. We must be on the front lines. You know, we must have it the worst. Um, I don't think it was clear to me when that happened that that was like a, that was a preemptive measure. And, um, you know, a lot of people who I know who are living around the country have at least been telling me that they've been sheltering in place, but I think, even Arizona, just as recently as yesterday, issued a statewide shelter-in-place order, which, you know, we've been doing for two and a half, three weeks now. Um, anyway, I think all I'm trying to say is, you know, I feel lucky to live in the Bay Area where that was done early, um, because I think, again, as the number of cases continues to increase, um, uh, other parts of the country will, um, you know, I think they'll just be hit a little bit harder. Okay, at the same time, though, and this goes back to what I was saying to my girlfriend over um, over dinner, which is, <clears throat> we're doing all the right things. This is very serious. Um, at the same time, though, I think when we look back on this time period, I think that I think the media is going to get a lot of a lot of shit for how they handled this thing, and I think I. Th- I think <laughs> I think they've uh, done a very good job of injecting panic into people. Um, so I, it's a weird thing to say, especially when we're kind of in the middle of this. I, you know, again, I you know, let's revisit this conversation when I fucking catch coronavirus. Um, which, by the way, I fucking thought I fucking had coronavirus over the weekend. Um, I was like, like when you get older, you literally can feel sometimes the moment that you get sick. You know, like you'll just be going through your day and all of a sudden you'll swallow and it just feels a little tight. Do you know what I mean? Or you'll feel that little tickle and like you literally feel the onset of the tickle in your throat and you're like, fuck, I'm going to get sick. And then sure as shit, within 24, 48 hours, you're fucking sick. Your nose is leaking, you're coughing, you're sneezing, whatever. I was literally laying in bed over my phone. I worked till midnight, you know, as I'm able to work remotely now. And uh, it was like one o'clock in the morning. I'm leaning over my my phone playing this game Mini Metro, which maybe hopefully we'll talk about it. Um, um, I hope we talk about it because the guy who does the music for it or did the music for it, it's been out for for years now, is uh, our buddy uh, Rich Vreeland, a.k.a. Disasterpiece, who does the music for this podcast. But um, 
But um, what the fuck was I saying? Oh, I'm leaning over my phone playing Mini Metro, and all of a sudden, it's like I inhale, and I just, it feels awful, and I start coughing. And, you know, it's not unusual to cough, but there was something about it that was so strange. I, in the moment I did it, it was like panic hit me. You know, it was like a bucket of water just hitting me in the face. And for like 25 minutes, I was like beside myself. I was convinced that this was like the beginning of coronavirus. And I had a couple more awkward coughs throughout the night. And like, I'm not a freaking out type of person. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I think recently I've talked about episodes where like I, I I live my life as if there's going to be some great reckoning where like the book of my life will be opened and every choice I've ever made has been examined. Like I'm talking about this when I when I drive between here and my girlfriends and I just see the number of people that are out getting takeout and all that sort of shit. It's it's disturbing to me because I feel man and this actually we talked about this for like 20 minutes in therapy this week, but I live my life as if I'm being observed all the time as all as if I'm being clocked. You know, as if I'm on someone's radar and I feel hyper accountable for every decision I make, not to anyone in particular. It's usually just the person sitting across from me. But even in my, like I, I've described, I live in this cottage in somebody's backyard and it's very sad, but, um, the father of, um, it's a young couple who lives there. Um, the father of, um, of the woman, uh, passed away. So they were, I think in New York state, um, for the father's funeral and they were there for a few weeks as the shelter in place was going on. And so I had, you know, our whole domain to myself. The minute they came back and I like these people a lot, they're great. You know, we're very copacetic. Is that the word? We're very, yeah, we don't really like, we don't bother each other. We don't really interact that much except for when we need to, but yeah, we like, we have a good little habitat here and even just their presence i feel accountable to do you know what i mean it's not that they're doing anything and it's not that they've ever they've ever given me shit for anything but it's just knowing that someone's in my proximity i feel clocked you know i feel like i'm on their radar anyway the, the fucking point i'm trying to make is um i feel accountable for the choices that i'm making even now in isolation like uh, if i ever caught coronavirus you know, the doctor would sit across from me and say, well, we have to fucking know where you've been. Let's look at your debit card records and see where you shop. Let's look at your phone GPS system and see all the places you've gone because we got to warn these people. Do you know what I mean? I would be mortified if I ever had to do that, you know? And even though I know it's not going to happen, uh, you know, and it's not like I, I'm a fucking perfect person. Do you know what I mean? Um, there's plenty of shit that goes on in my life or has gone on in my life that I'd be fucking very embarrassed if anyone found out about. But so it's not like I always do the right thing, but I still live with that fear of being asked to atone for every decision I've ever made. You know, like I always liken it to like Anubis, who is like this Egyptian god with like a uh, a jackal's head, you know, of the underworld. And he basically weighs the heart of everybody to see if they can fucking, I don't know, enter the underworld or whatever the fuck. I feel like as if, as if one day my heart is going to be weighed, you know? Um... And, uh, dude, what the fuck, man? Where am I going with all this? I'm seeing people going out and I'm just sort of incredulous at the choices that they're making. Um, you know what the hard part about this? <laughs> well, I had two thoughts. One, I, I normally really look forward to podcast day. And even when I was like at my girlfriend's place last night having dinner, I, it sort of dawned on me that tomorrow was and now today is the day I record the podcast. And I went, oh, yes, tomorrow's podcast day. Yes. Um, but I've actually, I was kicking the can sort of down the proverbial road all day today, putting it off until I absolutely sort of have to before I have to work tonight. Um, I looked up at the clock and I said, well, if you're going to do it today, you, you have to do it now. And I think the reason I was hesitating throughout the day and throughout the morning and putting it off was because probably what I feel in therapy every week now when we talk over the phone is I have about 20 minutes of coronavirus material is what I think of it as. And then I completely run out, you know, and the content of the conversations I'm having with whoever they are, it could be my mom, it could be my brother, it could be my friend, Matt, um, my girlfriend, my therapist, they all orbit the same conversation. Do you know what I mean? Coronavirus. And it's like, as I'm sitting here, I'm kind of regurgitating things I've already said to other people. 
you know, and, and it feels kind of inorganic, but it's like, I'm trying to trace my thoughts, but I'm also trying to recite points I've made to other people as I've gone through my life and kind of tried to file away because I, you know, I think, oh, that's interesting. Or that's, that's something to talk about on the podcast or something. But it's like, as I'm going through it, I don't know what the fuck I've said or kind of where I was going or like how all the disparate points and parts are related. Do you know what I mean? I feel really confused. You know, my fucking brain feels like scrambled eggs. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Which I was actually really happy to make today. I did my grocery shopping yesterday. And, uh, the, oh God, I'm so blessed. My girlfriend did this for me actually, because she actually ordered eggs for me. You know, she did some sort of, not Instacart, but it was something like that where they have your groceries delivered and she was able to order me a dozen eggs through that. But uh, the grocery store that we go to just seems to be perpetually out of eggs. And normally they have like, you know, two big freezers full of eggs and they're just fucking empty. And I don't know if they're getting more and they're just emptying out between in the interim or whatever, but yeah, slim pickings over there. But uh, yeah, I was able to eat scrambled eggs today, which was a, a blessing, I guess. Um, but yeah, my brain feels like scrambled eggs. And I just feel like I'm having the same conversations over and over with people, you know, with nothing new to say. So I think I was scared that when I'd fire up the mic that I'd have nothing to talk about. Yeah, I don't know. I said as much to my therapist. I was sort of laughing with my girlfriend about it because I was saying, you know, I was on the phone with my therapist and, you know, when you're in the room with somebody and you sort of lull into a silence, you know, it may not be the most comfortable thing in the world, but at least you can just sort of sit there. And, uh, but when you're on the phone with somebody and you lull into a silence, I was like finding excuses to like make noise. You know, I was like clearing my throat. I was going like, well... Yep, 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 yep. Ah, just so they know, like, I wasn't fucking dis... Like, they, our connection didn't drop, you know what I'm saying? Like, after, like, 10 seconds of silence, I was just waiting waiting for them to go, are you there? Oh, are, are you still there? <laughs> so I was, like, making, like, you know, I was just trying to make noises to make my presence known. But I was saying to them, like, yeah, I, like, run out of fucking coronavirus material, and then I end up... T- like, I was saying, I, I, I talked about that reality dating show on Netflix, Love is Blind the title of our last episode, I was fucking talking about that fucking show in my therapy for like 20, 25 minutes. But it's actually a good example of, even if you don't know what you're going to talk about, whatever you end up do talking about, unless you're, unless you're actively trying to avoid a topic, anything that comes up organically is meaningful. You know what I mean? So I was sort of like pointing back to our previous conversation in therapy, kind of joking about it, saying, yeah, well, I was talking about that show Love is Blind, and huh, that was sort of a funny thing to be talking about in therapy. And my therapist, uh, which is probably what I wanted to hear subconsciously, was said, actually, I thought that was a pretty interesting, you know, I thought that was a pretty important conversation. And uh, I mean, I even try to analyze, like, why, why would I even watch a show like that, which is not something I normally go in for. But it's because of whatever it sort of it brings out in you. You know, I was saying my my brother's um, about to get married. They've had to postpone the wedding, unfortunately. But my brother's getting married, and I encouraged him to watch it because there is something fascinating about watching a show. Um, you know, I don't know if it feels fair or not, but you you can be hyper judgmental of the people participating in it. But I was telling you guys, I encourage you to watch it. But also, you know, if you have a partner, to watch it with them. Um, but also give each other permission to provide running commentary to it because half the fun is just sort of dissecting people's motivations and talking about how you're experiencing someone and how they're coming across and, but also analyzing what's inspiring them to get involved in their relationship. You know, why do they feel forced to be in it or what, you know, what, because I don't know if this, this aspect came up. I'm not going to go into the show a whole bunch because we fucking talked about it for a long time on the last episode. You can go back and hear that if you haven't already. But I was saying to my girlfriend, when you watch a show like that and you have these very, um, well, to be fair, the show is edited in a very specific way, right? Like the film or the, um, you know, the producers or whatever are trying to tell, tell a story and the show is edited a certain way to tell a story and that gets a bad rap, but that's also just the conceit of any art form. Do you know what I'm saying? You you know, it's, it's, it's a way to organize the story. It's a way to tell a story, but that's just the way things are. And it's not always fair because things that are, 
you know, one person or the, 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 the person involved might feel are important or want to be communicated to the audience get lost, you know, and people get misrepresented. Absolutely. But, you know, you watch these show, this, the show like this and there's certain people that just piss you off or you don't like or you really judge them for how they interacted in a certain situation. And that's the only impression of them you get. Do you know what I mean? Like one of our earliest episodes, I was saying, and actually this came up with my brother recently. You know, you, ne- you don't get to choose what people remember about you. You know, people have usually, you know, if you live long enough to experience this, like if you're young, you think you're going to see the people to your right in your life, you're going to see them for your whole fucking life. The truth is you have a very finite amount of, te- amount of time usually with the people that are in your proximity. You know, unless you live and die in the town that you were fucking born in, you know, you may move around, you may switch jobs, whatever the case may be. So you have, you know, in hindsight, you realize that you have usually a very finite amount of time with people and you have this very sort of limited window into their lives and, and, and that's how they sort of calcify for you. And you go through your life thinking that you control the story that people have of you. You have no fucking control over it. The things that people remember about you, like when you touch base with them and the stories they tell you that they remember about you, it's rarely the same things that you guys experience, that, that you remember about them or that you want them to remember about you. I was saying to my brother, or he, uh, he uh, mentioned to me when we were talking, we were talking about food and I was t- like, you know, I, I literally just said moments ago, I'm a picky eater. And I don't like condiments, usually. And if I'm ever eating with other people and there's a food that requires a condiment, I usually try to jump in and say, eh, but let me do it myself, you know? Because if, if I do use a condiment, I usually want to use far less than, than other people would apply. You know, and if, like, if we're having fries, I, 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 I mean, 99 times out of 100, I won't use ketchup. But if I do, I just want a little bit, you know, just a little dip for the, just a little dip for the flavor, you know what I'm saying? I just want a little essence, you know, even for like chips and salsa, it's like some people, they want a big heaping helping of salsa, guacamole. I just want a little, just want a little simmer on there. You know what I'm saying? A little sim- simmer of salsa. Um, but apparently when me and my girlfriend were visiting my brother for Thanksgiving, he was preparing some dish. I don't even remember what it was, but he was applying some condiment. And apparently I jumped in and said, whoa, 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 let's, why don't we let people apply their own condiments or something like that? But that was like a thing for him and his girlfriend that they would sort of say jokingly to. They had both sort of, it had registered for one or both of them. And it was something that they sort of said humorously to each other since that time, which I had no fucking memory of. But for them was, you know, it says something about my personality or it's, uh, yeah, it was particularly funny for them. And it meant nothing to me. Do you know what I mean? Um, in one of our earliest episodes, I tell this story about somebody I went to school with who is now ostensibly a dentist. I like ran into, like, I, this is someone I went to elementary school with, middle school. I went to, uh, oh, I was working at this bar in the Bay Area and I bumped into this person of all fucking places. Like, why am I seeing this person in another state at this bar I'm fucking working at? And they were living in here in the San Francisco Bay Area, like going to dental school. And oh, it was kind of embarrassed seeing this person because I was like working at a bar and here they are fucking going to dental school. But in my mind, this guy had no clue that what I remember most about him is our sex education class where the, the teacher said something like, oh, well, when babies are born, they come out of the vagina. And he just blurts out, oh, you mean they don't come out of the butt? <laughs> and I literally told my brother, oh, I bumped into so-and-so. And he was like, oh, do babies still come out of the butt for him? <laughs> and I was like, if this guy knew that this is what me and my brother remember most about him, he would fucking sharpen the nearest object and fucking fall on it. Do you know what I'm saying? Ah, oh, poor guy. You know, but, you know, of course, if you ever heard this, he'd probably know exactly that we're fucking talking about him. Do you know what I'm saying? But if he heard it, he would like, he'd have one of those shudder moments, you know? Like, do you ever go through your life and you're just like in the shower and you think about something that you did at one point in your life and you just, you just shudder to think? Like, ugh. I will say, though, and I, I, I don't know, I hope this is not too much detail, but my brother also worked at a restaurant years, years ago. Um, he was still living in the state that we originally went to school with this kid at, but um, his mother was like a client, or like came into the restaurant or something, and my brother had this horrible experience where he observed like, oh, this person's mother, who was actually, was out to lunch with like some other, mom, other mothers of kids that we went to school with. They were just like super shitty. Do you know what I'm saying? I guess they were like giving my brother a hard time about working in a restaurant or whatever. Um, but um, anyway, 
yes. What am I saying? Okay, so love is blind. Yeah, you can't control what people remember about you. So you watch this reality show and you're like, oh, that person's horrible. There's one character in particular. Her name is Jess. She's super boozy. She's kind of a lush. And there are some others like super annoying lushes out there. But for some reason, you're watching the show and you're like, oh, they're really like, this is the story they want to tell this girl. Like she, they're kind of, she's kind of, she embarrasses herself a fair amount while she's drinking. And um, at the very last episode, once the whole show is kind of wrapped, they have an additional reunion episode. And it's, dude, I feel stupid saying this, but I'm actually, me and my girlfriend were talking about, I'm actually really glad that we watched the reunion episode. Because when these shows shoot, they wrap like a year before they air, do you know? And now that the show's actually aired and people know what it is, there's probably a quicker turnaround time. But especially for that first show, they shoot it and then a year later it comes out. They probably shoot it, edit it, and then shop it around and Netflix buys it or whatever the fuck. But these people like have seen the show as it's been edited and they've had time to reflect on it. And so they bring everybody back together and they're sort of like checking in with people and you're hearing people's take on what happened in the show. And I was sort of expecting people to be hyper-defensive, you know, but someone like this Jess character was, like, very honest and said, yeah, there was plenty of parts of the show that were hard for me to see um, that really, you know, showed to me that there were areas of my life that I needed to focus on. And I'm, you know, I'm in a different place, or I'm working on aspects of myself, or I'm in a different place in my life. And it was actually nice to see that, you know, because otherwise, you know, you sort of, because someone's um, acting as if they're very uh, unself-aware, if I'm wording that right, like you're seeing someone who's acting in a way where they seem very like unaware of how they're coming across, you know, um, in kind of an, an embarrassing way. And so you just sort of um, deduce that that person's just not very self-reflective and that that's likely the person that they're going to continue to be. But they've since watched the, watched the show and are sort of articulating exactly what you would want to hear. You know, they're not hyper defensive. They're just very honest that, hey, I saw what you saw. I didn't like what I saw. And, you know, here's what it showed me about myself. When you go, oh, shit, that's actually like it's like sometimes you have beef with someone. And if you ever get a genuine apology from them, like, you know, the difference. You know, it's one thing when somebody knows that they're socially required to apologize. But it's another thing entirely like you feel it in your gut when somebody apologizes to you and they're not just saying they're sorry. They're like being very specific and they're saying you know, I know I said this and I'm sure it affected you in this way. And I'm, and and, and they're saying exactly what someone would say if they've actually been quote rehabilitated or if they've, if they've genuinely given their behavior some thought and have given some constructive thought on how to, um, actually change and act differently in the future. So it was nice to hear parts of that. Do you know what I mean? There was one character in particular who stood out was this guy who, I guess his whole thing was in the past he had had, um, uh, sexual and, and apparently dating relationships with both genders, men and men and women. And even though he was dating to marry a woman now, he was concerned that if they ever found that out about him, um, that it would be a deal breaker for them. And so this was a secret that he was keeping. And so he's already engaged to the person before he reveals this to them. And of course, that's a can of worms. And it could be that that is a deal breaker for somebody because they don't want to date someone who's dated, uh, they don't want to date a man who's dated men in the past. And I can understand, I mean, look, you can't control what people want, you know? Yeah, maybe it's not PC, maybe it's not, uh, maybe it's discriminatory, but I mean, how much time do you want to invest in controlling what other people want for themselves? Do you know what I mean? So it could be a deal breaker for someone, apropos of nothing. You could have said that before and it would have been a deal breaker. But it also comes, it's also, it's also means a lot more if you've already engaged to somebody and they tell you that, because not only it's sort of compounded, not only is there this revelation, but it also demonstrates a lot. One, it's a secret, you know, so you've been keeping a secret from them, but it also communicates a lot to somebody about how you handle difficult information and how you, um, you, you deal with things that maybe you're not very open, that, that it's easier for you to maybe skirt around. Oh, anyway, I don't, I don't pretend to know what it could mean, but as you're watching it, you feel it's a bit unfair because this revelation leads to essentially their breakup. And in the moment on the show, his reaction is if she's being discriminatory and, um, as if he's the victim and you're like, Oh, this guy, I kind of feel for him because he's kind of like, 
um, the minority, for lack of a better word. You know, he's a sympathetic character. But you also feel like his emotional take or what he's reporting to have occurred is actually like way off base. And so you feel kind of bad for him. You're like, oh, I don't think you're really like taking the, you know, the, the message away from this that you should be. You know, if this is the lesson that you're walking away with, you know, this, this is likely to happen again in the future. But when you see him on the reunion show and you're hearing his reaction or his take on what happened, he's much more fair minded. You know, he's had time to whatever to process it. He's thought about it. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It did. A, otherwise you would have walked away with some harsh feelings about people, you know, and that probably happens in life in general. Do you know what I mean? Like you have ex-girlfriends or ex-boyfriends, you have ex-partners and, you know, you guys were together for a very finite time in your lives, you know, and that person was, you know, you, you met each other at a very specific point in your lives. And if you're never, if you never see that person again, in your mind, they'll always be, you know, the misguided person they were like in their early twenties or whatever. But because you guys never get to link up, you never get to share with each other what you learned from that relationship. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm kind of embarrassed to bring this up, but um, actually, here's what I want to do. I'm sorry I have to do this. I have to go to the bathroom, but this could be a good topic. And and so I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'm also going to think about what I want to say about this because I want to respect people's privacy. But let me go to the bathroom and I'll come back and we'll continue this conversation. Okay? BRB. Ah, that's better. Okay. Um, right. What was I saying? All right. I was talking about, you know, when you date someone, you see them for a very finite amount of time. And if you never get the chance to reconnect with them, um, that person sort of calcifies as who they were at that point in your life. And, you know, since the shelter in place has happened, I've just thought about different people in my life and some more than others, but it sort of forced me to think about what is so-and-so doing in this time? Do you know what I mean? Are they able to take care of themselves? Do they have, you know, the support of their family? Are they still in the city? Um, You know, what does life look like for this person? And there's some people I've dated I just don't think about. And then there's some people who I hadn't really teased it out, but, you know, you think about more frequently. And you think, and it's not like you want to be with them. It's not like you think about them longingly or romantically, but... I don't know if it was because you were especially endeared to them or maybe, dude, frankly, you know, maybe you're more concerned about them. Um, you're more concerned about how their life may be headed, given the trajectory they appeared to be on. You're more concerned about, damn, are they doing well at all? But um, I was thinking about one girlfriend in particular earlier today, thinking, God, I, I wonder what they're doing. I hope they're okay. I hope if they're sheltering in place, it's with someone who's like good for them. You know, I hope their life isn't, yeah, I hope they're able to take care of themselves. Um, but, uh, I want to be fair here because I, I might say some sort of critical things about this person, but there's people I've dated that I, like, I really long for them to like see me again, you know? And I've never been, I guess you'll have to ask other people. I've never, I, I've been a, I've been like a shitty boyfriend in the past and it's not cause I ever hit anybody or cause I cheated on anybody. I've never done anything like that. But I think young dudes especially are are particularly emotionally unavailable. And it's not that women aren't that way. But I think, you know, people don't like these sort of broad stroke generalizations. I love them. But in my experience, it just is the case that women tend to be more emotionally evolved than men, especially at a young age, but even throughout their lives. And young dudes especially are usually just not on the emotional frequency of relationships, you know? Um, I think guys get a bad rap and that relationships are all sexual and there's plenty of fucking pigs who are that way. You know, there's plenty of fucking dudes who are that way. But I also think, um, you know, I hear it now when I speak to, whether it's on the crisis lines or in my life, like you hear about younger women, maybe in their late teens, early 20s, who are in their kind of first serious relationships, and, you know, they're dialed into their partner in a way that their partners are just, they're just generally not on that wavelength. You know, the woman is usually very emotionally invested and the guys are sort of scared of their emotions. And, I, you know, maybe there's a whole fucking doctoral thesis you can make on this about like toxic masculinity and guys aren't allowed to be emotional and, you know, sensitivity or whatever the fuck it is. But guys are just generally in their early relationships more emotionally absent and more self-centered, you know, and... I think most guys have one or two girlfriends that they, they kind of like were, 
you know, kind of shitty to, you know, and I have one in particular that I think, you know, if I had to be fair to myself, I mean, this is before therapy. So it's like, I was fucking lost in a lot of ways. You know, I was really like emotionally hurt and I could barely show up in my own life, let alone be there for somebody else. But, um, you know, there's a part of me that wishes I could, I don't know. I, I just, you know, not that this person needs it or wants it or whatever the fuck. I'm sure they fucking have gone off with and, and live well in their life. Like this was a very good person that I dated, you know, good family, good prospects, smart, all that sort of stuff. I have no, no concerns about her, but there is a part of me that just wants to say, um, you know, to see them and say, Hey, look, I, I know that I was shitty. You know, I know that that was, I could have done better in that relationship and not that you need to hear it, not that you're fucking emotionally scarred throughout your life because of it, but I could have done better and I should have done better. And, you know, there are good reasons for why I was the way that I was at that time. So I'm not trying to crucify myself here. Um, I, I didn't even know what the fuck I was going through at the time. You know, that's just where I was, but, uh, I'm, I, I see now how that affected you and I'm, I'm really very sorry. Um, you know, I wish I had the maturity that, you know, I think you deserved at that time and I just didn't have it. Do you know what I mean? Um, I have those, but I was thinking about one person I dated, dude, it's actually, dude, this is what, and this is partly why I was thinking about this too. This is someone that we're on the 29th episode of the podcast. This is somebody I was dating when I was 29 and I was right on the cusp of turning 30 and I had my birthday and I would say within, I, I turned 30 inside this relationship and within, I think, like two weeks or something, maybe even a week or something of my birthday two whatever the fuck, I broke up with this person. And um, they were younger than I was. They were in their early 20s, I think 23 at the time. Maybe they were about to turn 24. I think they had a birthday in the same month. But the point is, um, as I was on the cusp of turning 30, and I think anyone who's... I think anyone who's lived, anyone who's my age will probably tell you. I think this is generally pretty true, especially if you're sort of, um, I don't know, kind of a, um, you know, you're self-aware and you're sort of living, living your life. I don't know. You're, I'm trying to say reflective. Is that the word? I don't know. I can't think. But the point is, if you're a pretty self-aware person and you think about yourself and your growth and your own development, I think a lot of people in their 30s would say that they had a similar experiences with it, which is you go through your, you know, once you hit your teens to like your late twenties, life is a fucking nightmare. You know, part of it is biological. You're fucking, you're on drugs for guys. It's testosterone or whatever the fuck, but literally your brain is not done developing. And a lot of like, you know, especially in your late teens, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 are, especially for people who've had any sort of trauma or whatever are particularly fraught times. You know, you are in the full onset of the consequences of whatever biology or mental health disorder or whatever the fuck that's been set in motion from your early childhood usually comes to full fruition in your twenties. Do you know what I mean? Usually that whole decade is, is for, for many people who are primed for it is a phenomenally difficult time for them. And people feel very, very lost oftentimes. And the sad part is that nobody's talking about it. Do you know? Like you're, it, it's, it, it happens at a very tender time because people are also going to college and, you know, for people who are doing comparatively well, um, you know, they're studying a major, which they go on to have a career in some sort of field. And so it can feel very much like there's plenty of other people who have everything. There are plenty of other people around you who have everything figured out. And so you feel very alone in your feelings. The truth is most people are going through the exact same fucking thing and nobody's talking about it, which makes it, which makes it feel very isolating. But if you're in your early 20s and you can't get through college and you're emotionally distraught and like you feel fucking lost, you know, I'm not saying that you're happy. I'm not saying that this is where you want to be for the rest of your life. I mean, I, I hear that you want something else for yourself. I want that for you too. But what you're going through is incredibly common, you know, and that's not to take anything away from your story and your experience, like your pain and whatever your, your story, whatever you're going through is very real and very important, you know, and it, I'm not trying to dismiss it. It's something that you should probably get in therapy and dissect, you know, um, I'm just saying there's probably a lot there that needs to be, uh, that needs to be observed, you know, and you're probably feeling whatever you're feeling for good reason, 
you know, and I'm sure a lot of it's, you know, you, what the problem is, is when you're early twenties, you take responsibility for your life. You know, like you take responsibility for who you are and where you're at and everything that's happened to you. And that can be a difficult thing because, you know, your life is your responsibility. Absolutely. You know, if you're going to get out of this, it's going to be you that does it. So in that sense, you are responsible for your life. But oftentimes, how you're feeling, what you're going through, what you're struggling with, it's not your fault. Do you know what I mean? It's like that scene in Goodwill Hunting where fucking Robin Williams is standing across from Matt Damon and he's saying, it's not your fault. You know, Matt Damon was like beat up by his dad and whatever. And it's something that you can say to somebody and they think they understand, but they don't. And there's this great scene where Robin Williams is Matt Damon's therapist is sitting, standing across from him and says, you know, it's not your fault. What happened to you? And Matt Damon's like, I know. And he goes, but it's not, it's not your fault. And he's like, I know. And Robin Williams repeats, it's not your fault. And as they keep having this exchange, it gets deeper and deeper and more emotional. And finally, they both fucking break down. You know, because there's this, you know, we get caught up in these conversations where we say the right things, but we're not really emotionally present in them, you know? And so we get in these sort of uh, like volley matches or tennis type conversations where we're just sort of saying the right thing. Like, oh, you said something to me. I lob it back into your corner. So somebody like Rob Williams goes, oh, it's not your fault. And you go, I know, I know. Ball's back on your side of the court. And Rob Williams is saying, hey, I want you to really hear me. I mean, this is the subtext, obviously, but he's saying, hey, it's not your fault. You know, I'm inviting you into this moment where you absorb this information. And Matt Damon's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I know. So he says it again, like, hey, I I really want you to hear me. It's not your fault. And as the reality of the situation creeps in, you feel the emotional barrier break down. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm talking about early 20s. I think this is, um, I'm, this is all important stuff, but I'm sort of backing into the conversation where, you know, I've had relationships where I want to revisit somebody and say, hey, I've learned from that scenario and please don't think of me as, as the person that you may have thought of me for the last fucking decade. You know what I mean? Um, I was thinking about my last partner when I was, who I was dating when I turned 30 today, just hoping that they're doing well. And there was nothing particularly wrong with this person. It was a very important relationship for me. Do you know what I mean? I learned a lot. Um, I don't think, if I, if I hadn't have had this relationship, I wouldn't have... It dated the types of people that I did in the year and a half after that, where I dated a lot. And I certainly wouldn't probably have, you know, been dating the person I'm with now, who's, you know, perfect for me. Um, But because there was that disparateness in age, I was 30. My, oh yeah, I don't know if I articulated articulated this clearly, but what my point was with all that like early 20 shit, when you turn 30, when you're at the end of your 20s, you enter a completely different phase of your life. Your biology settles down. You know, if you, you know, you, you just really begin to know yourself. Do you know what I mean? So if your twenties are hard, it's that I, I feel for you, it sucks, but be prepared. Your thirties are going to be fucking relatively awesome. Hopefully assuming like there's no fucking global pandemic and you lose your job and shit. But I just mean in terms of your existential experience, your, your sense of yourself, your sense of knowing who you are and what you want. And like, you know, your 20s feel like a fucking roller coaster ride, you know? And when your 30s, you feel like you're steering the ship and you may still hit traffic and there may still be a collision every now and then, but you feel like you're in the driver's seat. That's probably the best way to articulate it. You're in the fucking driver's seat in your 30s. And I was dating someone who was in their early 20s and it's nothing against them, but they were just in a phenomenally different place in their life. And I think probably, you know, um, uh, it sounds cold hearted to think about it this way. And I, and I don't mean to dismiss like the fact that I really cared for this person. I was obviously attracted to them. There was a lot of tender feelings between us. You know, we never said, I love you, but I, I, I mean, I deeply cared about this person. I still think about them. I still hope that they're okay. I want good things for them. But I also think there's a unavoidable sort of psychological, like, you know, people think you're being like an armchair fucking therapist or whatever, but this person was in a place that I was when I was in my early 20s. And I think there was this, you know, I was trying to fix myself, you know, through dating this person. 
you know, you never experience, experience these things fully consciously. You can kind of be intellectually aware of them, but you're not, like at the time you're just not in it emotionally to, to perceive this. But this person was in a lo- similarly lost place in their early twenties. And I think I was like trying to fix myself through them, you know, and I'm not holding it against myself for ending up in that relationship and I'm not blaming them for being in that relationship with me, but it's the type of thing that I I think once you realize that, excuse me, once you realize that you, um, you know, I did the right thing. I ended the relationship, you know, I was even talking about, I don't know why, but there was something about when I was describing that moment of Robin Williams and Matt Damon's character, I had a similar moment with this person. They were like describing a friendship that they had had. And I still don't understand what I still, there's certainly more to the story that I don't understand, but I remember having a conversation with them and they were telling me about this friend that they had growing up and there was just something there. And I, as we were talking about it, they were kind of being dismissive about it. And I kept kind of probing and prodding and it was like out of nowhere, she started crying, you know? And 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 I'm not saying that we hit the iceberg of some like deep emotional issue or that there was some trauma there. I just mean... You know, when you're Matt Damon, when you're in your early 20s and you, you know, you had a lot happen to you or you're, you've gone through a lot, but you're trying to be tough. When someone even invites you into, into any kind of emotional honesty or emotional vulnerability, it can be overwhelming, <laughs> you know, and crying doesn't necessarily mean that you're sad. Sometimes it's just the consequence of like, like a certain threshold of emotions. You know, my girlfriend cries a lot and it's not because she's sad. I mean, she, it could be sad feelings, but it's not like she's, you know, wrought with sadness and brought and laid low and brought to tears. It's just some people when it's like, dude, when you see dudes who are about to get in fights, they tear up sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Like when you're emotion, when you emotionally hit a threshold, it's just like your body just can't fucking deal with it. You can be so angry that you cry. You can be so scared that you cry. You can be so happy that you cry. Do you know what I mean? And my girlfriend's just like an emotional person, so she can she can tear up. And it's it's one of my favorite things about her. I find it very endearing. But uh, yeah, so what am I trying to say? I don't know. I had a moment like that with this person that I was dating where I was kind of poking and prodding. And I was kind of, it wasn't the words, but I was saying like, oh, it's not your fault or tell me more. And it was like you could literally feel that we were sort of... I was going to say circling the drain. I, I think you like a, like a, like an object falling into the orbit of a planet, you know, there's like a event horizon where it's just, we just reached past the threshold and it was like, we were both aware. Oh man, we're in this sort of vulnerable place or whatever. Um, what was the other thing that came up for me? Yeah, I don't know. It feels like I'm changing topics, even though we're talking about the same person, but <clears throat> I said this in therapy. I was uh, literally uh, this last week, I was describing, you know, I don't know. I think we were talking about the disparateness of people who are, um, they kind of live close to their emotions. You know, like some people can live in a loveless relationship forever. They can just sort of tolerate things being uncomfortable. And then there's people who, once they have an emotional insight, you know, I'm not saying they, their life changes direction in that moment, but that's how they're motivated. Do you know what I mean? Like some people are motivated by money. And so they may have sort of emotional or intellectual insights into about how, what they're doing is making them unhappy, but they're motivated by money for whatever reason. And so, um, their life doesn't change. Um, relationships are the same way. Like some people can be like, Oh, I don't love this person. And yet there's something propelling them through that relationship. Whereas if you're like me and it just seems to be the case, I'm, you know, I personally think it's better, but that's of course I fucking do. That's my bias. Usually when I have an emotional insight into something, in fairly short order, it, it affects my decisions, you know, because I can't, I'm just not the type of person who can live with that kind of dissonance. You know, I kind of, I kind of need things to be cohesive and copacetic. You know, I can't like, I feel like on some other podcasts they were talking about cheating or something. You know, I don't pretend to, I mean, I've never cheated on anybody that I've dated, but I don't think I could be the type of person who cheated on my partner and could and could live with the guilt. It would fucking come out. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm just not the type of person who could live with something to so deep-seated in private and just not have it bubble to the surface or need to get it off my chest at some point. Do you know what I mean? But I remember when I was dating this person, you know, I was saying I turned 30 and like within like a week or two weeks or something, we broke up. But just before that, I remember, I, I literally remember the moment that I was like, oh, I'm going to break up with this person. 
you know, uh, I don't know. I don't want to get too crass, but basically a lot of our relationship was just like, I was smoking a lot of weed and we would just sort of hang out together and stuff. And I remember one morning, it was part of our ritual. We sort of wake up and smoke together. And I remember we were sitting across from each other on the bed and we were smoking weed and she kind of had like a panicky sort of moment. Like some, you know, sometimes you smoke weed and you get a little paranoid, but it's not like you fucking think the feds are there. It's just your mind kind of goes down a rabbit hole and you feel overwhelmed and you know, you can feel kind of anxious or whatever. And she was having a moment like that where she had to, she had to leave, like go to the bathroom or something for a second, put some water on her face or whatever. But I remember as it was happening and I'm sitting across from this person and I'm seeing them kind of distressed, you know, it wasn't like I wanted anything bad to happen to them, but I realized in that moment, Oh, I'm not emotionally connected to this person anymore. You know? And it wasn't that I didn't care what happened to them. I was I didn't want them to feel the way that they were feeling, but it wasn't, I didn't feel what I should have felt or what I thought I should have felt for somebody that I was in a relationship with. You know what I mean? And so like when she left to go to the bathroom, I remember just kind of still sitting there staring at the wall where they, like they were formally in front of me, just kind of staring at the wall that, that was just behind them and thinking, wow, I'm going to break up with this person. You know, I, I'm not going to do it when they come back from the bathroom, but I, I really thought about that, you know? And when I finally did break up with them a couple weeks later, I mean, I literally remember waking up from their place. You know, I had this whole thing at the time. I was like taking these like Insta, Instax photos, like the sort of fake Polaroid photos. The um, I can't think of the brand now. There's some brand of camera that makes them. Fuji makes this camera. The fake Polaroids. You've seen them, the rectangles. I took... Over the course of a couple of years, I took hundreds of these things, but that was like my whole thing. And so I had a lot of like in, in stacks photos of this person and, and of that period of our life together. And I had them sort of like stacked out all over my apartment. It looked like a fucking crazy man. But I literally and with her that morning. I go home. I sort of decide, okay, I think that day I decided I was going to do it because I, I literally had two shows to play that night. And so my day was very structured. And I sort of knew, like, oh, breaking up with this person is going to be a difficult time in my life, you know, or it's probably going to usher in, a, you know, its own set of problems. <clears throat> and so I was like, I need to be busy or something. I don't know what it was, but I was like, okay, I had two shows. So I was like, I'm going to break up with this person. I'm going to play my shows. And that's how I'm going to fucking deal with it. Do you know what I mean? And so I literally go home, take all the photos of them and like put them away so that they're not around. I delete, I already, I go into my phone, I delete that person from my phone so that I don't reach out to them in the future. And I go over to her house, you know, a couple hours later, and I basically just walk in the door. She's on the phone with her mom. She gets off the phone within like a couple minutes and I'm just sitting across from her and I just tell her right then. I was like, I can't see you anymore. And so of course there's this sort of protracted, you know, I don't know if it was an hour. I don't know if it was 30 minutes. I don't know if it was two hours, but this kind of sad parting, do you know what I mean? Of like kind of saying goodbye. And, um, and I, I, I think they texted me like two months later and we had like a brief text exchange where they were kind of reaching out to me, seeing if I was interested in seeing them, not, you know, not like dating, but like, you know, wanting to see me. And I, I said, no, but I never talked to that person again, never saw them again. And, um, and yeah, it's always stuck with me, you know, because I think I saw that person at a very specific place in their life that I really related to, you know, I, dude, I was probably more fucked up in that chapter of my life than they were. And it wasn't like the person was overtly fucked up. I'm not, I'm not trying to bait a, paint a bad picture of them by any stretch. I just mean that, you know, that was for me, that's like a totem example of like seeing someone at a very specific point in their life. And you just have no idea how things shape out for people. Do you know what I mean? Like somebody was talking about recovery. Excuse me. And I've mentioned in passing, sorry, I have to drink water. You know, I have a very limited experience of recovery myself. You know, I'm not like in the program, but I'm a sober guy. <clears throat> I've gone to recovery type things. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things like you never know you never know what's going to happen. You know, I've said it in the past, you know, you know, count no man lucky until you see his death. You just don't know how people's lives are going to shape out. Um, um, did I say that right? You never know how, how people's lives are going to turn out. Is probably what I meant to say. But sometimes the people who seem to have the most going for them, check in with them in 10 years. They could be devastated. 
The people that you think are going to fucking crash and burn, check in with them in 10 years. Dude, they could be doing phenomenally well. Now, some people just, you know, of course, their lives, it's how their lives turn out seems inevitable. You know, I had people that I knew when I was younger who were very talented and they're phenomenally successful. And you think, dude, of course they are. But I forget about all the people I've known who are equally talented, who never fucking quote made it. Do you know what I mean? Um, but, uh, yeah, I think I'm just trying to point out the, you know, sometimes the, the dissonance or the tension that happens when you, you know, you have a very finite, limited experience of somebody. And so that's how you remember them, you know, and you live with that memory of them, but without the opportunity to sort of circle back and check in with them, they never get the chance if they, if they have grown, if they have in fact changed or let that experience change them to show that to you. And in a way, I think intellectually, it's kind of a form of generosity to try to live as if it did, you know, because even as I'm saying it, it sounds kind of self aggrandizing, or I don't know the word for it, but self, you know, like I live my life as if, and I think it happens to be true, but I, you know, I'm talking about this as if I'm the only person who goes through my life and is changed by the experiences that happen to them, you know? Um, I mean, I think it happens to be true. I, I feel like I, that is a, uh, one of my, uh, gifts of a, a blessing, you know, not something I, I cultivated just something that I, that I feel blessed to have, which is, I think I'm fairly self-aware and I think uh, I'm fairly honest with myself and uh, honestly, therapy has helped a lot. Just having a space where I can talk through these things and get someone else's perspective. But, you know, I feel like I've, I've done a good job of, of kind of letting the experience of my life shape me and, you know, take my lumps, um, you know, use, you know, my gifts and my talents and, um, for good and, uh, the bad things, the inevitably bad things that have happened to me. I've, I've, I hope I've let them change me, you know, and I, and even the bad things I've done in my life, I, um, I, I hope I've learned from them. Do you know what I mean? So it can be hard when, you know, we obviously see the trajectory of our own lives and we see how we're changed by our experiences. When we don't encounter people from other chapters of our life, we just assume that they're the same person, you know? And I mean, this all came out, we're talking about a reality show, if we've forgotten what the fuck we were talking about. But I think all I'm trying to say is, is when you watch a show and you get a very specific t- story about a person, that's usually formed by the editors, but, you know, you have a very limited experience to somebody. You think, oh, that's who that person is. You know, I was saying this, this Jess character, because they act as if they're not very self-aware, I assume that they're, that's just who they are, you know, but this person has obviously, obviously, especially as this has been aired to fucking people, you know, and they've probably gotten plenty of other, the public, like reaching out to them on social media and commenting about who they are. They're getting, a, they're getting a lot of fucking feedback, both good and mostly, probably mostly bad feedback, but, uh, to have that person have a platform where they can talk about their experience and, and kind of say to the audience, like, yeah, I fucking saw a lot of what you saw and I didn't like it, you know, and it, um, I, I've grown from it, you know, I don't know. It felt like a good thing. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm glad we were able to talk about some personal shit. I'm glad that I was able to weave that into the personal. Cause otherwise we've spent fucking maybe like the better part of two episodes talking about a goddamn reality show. Although I'm glad we're talking about Love is Blind and not Tiger King like everybody else. Which I did watch, by the way. But I was talking about that with my girlfriend. <clears throat> I'm probably more plugged into the social media thing than my girlfriend is. But literally all anyone's ever fucking talked about since the shelter in place, other than coronavirus, is goddamn Tiger King. And if you haven't seen it, you should. It's fine. Excuse me. It's kind of overlong. It kind of, I don't know, I feel like it could have been shorter, but... It's a fucking crazy story and it's sad and everyone's kind of talking about it as if it's funny, but I was talking about it with my brother. It's phenomenally sad and tragic. And I think we forget that these are real people <clears throat> and the fact that people really live this way is fucking insane. You know, my brother pointed it out well. He said, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, he said something like, I'm not going to pull out his text, but he said something like, I was sort of observing something that I've said on the podcast. Like, I get anxious about tax season. Do you know what I'm saying? I think I abandoned this. I, I, I was listening back to the last episode, and I, I think I was barking up this tree and then fucking abandoned ship. I, I lost track of what I was talking about. But I was saying something like, filing my taxes for me brings up a lot of anxiety. You know? It's like I'm scared that I've done something wrong or something. I've, I've talked about this. I live, I live like I feel like accountable to other people. But 
I don't know how you function when you're this Joe Exotic person and you have literally dozens of cases in litigation against you and you owe, you're having a million dollars in assets being seized by somebody else and you're in these crazy, chaotic, dysfunctional same-sex relationships and you're meth addicted. It's like, and you're the, like the fucking figurehead of a cult and like an, an exotic animal zoo and you just think, how, how... Do you live that way? How do you live? How do you function with that much chaos in your life? Do you know what I mean? Like, how do you sleep at night? I mean, you are a profoundly disturbed person. You know what I mean? And uh, I know people watching, and who knows? I don't know what people think, but people are certainly talking about it as if it's funny. And dude, there are humorous moments for sure. But it's profoundly sad. It's a profoundly sad show. Um, you should check it out. It's kind of a slow burn. The first episode is may not grip you, but, but be patient. Um, it's just a crazy story. And the fact that these people are real is fucking nuts. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to end on a lighthearted note here. I'm trying to think of some other things I've watched. Um, that might be good things for you to check out in quarantine. I feel bad because I, you know... I, I feel like with social media, with everything, we're all watching the same shit. You know what I'm saying? You know, being on the front page of Netflix is like the primest piece of real estate in the United States right now. Maybe even the world, you know? <clears throat> um, but, uh, yeah. I watched uh, Solaris. I watched the um, Tarkovsky original Solaris film. Maybe I'll have more to say. I'm, you know what? I was actually thinking about this. I mentioned a lot of movies in passing. One was The Favorite. The uh, Lan- What's his name? Yargos Lanthimos or some shit like that. I loved that movie. He, the same filmmaker who did The Lobster. I saw his, his, I guess his most recent film, The Favorite. I fucking loved it. I promise you guys I was going to talk about it and I didn't. And I feel like the window has closed on that film. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because, um, I don't know. I don't have a lot to say about it in this moment, but I think, what did I watch it? It wasn't on Hulu or I don't know where I watched it, but I'm sure you can find it somewhere. You should watch the favorite. You should watch, um, do not watch the Tarkovsky version of Solaris. It's overlong, but you, if you can find it, watch the Steven Soderbergh version, the remake with George Clooney. It's actually much better. And I know that's going to be sacrilegious to people to say that a fucking Steven Soderbergh remake of a Tarkovsky film is better than the original, but it is great. I love the George Clooney version. When I was younger, I, I, I went to the movie theater, not a lot, but I certainly went to the movie theater by myself on, on a, a few occasions, and one of those was to see the Solaris movie, and uh, I don't think I knew anything about it going into it, but it was fucking great, and the score by Cliff Martinez was phenomenal also, so if you can track down the George Clooney, <clears throat> Steven Soderbergh um, remake of Solaris, it's very, very good. Um, and fuck, if you want to read the book, the book's fine too, by Stanislav Lem, it's pretty good. Um, otherwise, is that enough? Yeah, probably, right? Man, this is, uh, you know, it's so funny. I, I'm a broken record, but, you know, I don't know what we're going to talk about when we fire up the mics, and lo and behold, we hit some, uh, we hit some good stuff. I just hope that I'm not fucking, you know, the problem after, even, even after 29 episodes, I don't even fucking know how people, people who are like over a thousand episodes or whatever podcast, I don't even know what the fuck we've talked about. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I listened to Adam Carolla for years. Like, I listened to Adam Carolla on Loveline for, like, the last two and a half years. He was on that show every night. I listened to every hour of the morning radio show he had in L.A. for who knows how many years, four or five years. And I was listening to the podcast since day one. Um, And it's like, I literally heard every story that guy has to say 24 times. I've heard that dude talk about left turn turn arrows or whatever the fuck thousands of times do you know what i mean it's like i'm just trying to get you know for all i fucking know everything i've said on this podcast today for all i know and i just don't remember i've already fucking told you the story about the person i dated who was in the early 20s um but the point is we're fucking in here for the long haul folks and it's about being present and just talking about whatever the fuck comes up you know what i'm saying it's about not scripting it out you know and uh, like I said, dude, if it, if it comes up, it's coming up for a reason. I don't know what it is, but hey, that's where I'm at emotionally. And, uh, and that's what we're going to talk about. Um, I hope you guys are doing well. I hope everyone's staying safe. I hope you're staying home. Um, 
Man, and I hope, uh, yeah. I was going to say, I hope you're not feeling like me, but it's probably unavoidable. I'm, I'm sure we're all feeling that way. So maybe I won't tell you what to feel or <clears throat> how I hope you're feeling. I'll just say, whatever you're feeling, you're not alone. And um, a lot of us are in the same boat, but uh, we're just kind of figuring it out together. We're all sort of feeling our way forward in the dark together. So um, I'm fucking sick of people calling it strange times, but it's it's something. It's um, It's exceptional. If nothing else, it's certainly exceptional times that we're living in. But hey, at least we're living. So thank you for listening. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, those are probably the two best platforms. And um, help us grow it. So far, you guys are doing a pretty good job of keeping this podcast a secret. <laughs> I mean, I know there's a small community of us who listen, but I'd like to grow. And uh, so please think of one person in your life who you think would like the podcast and share it with them. And if you want to take a couple of extra minutes, which you fucking have all the time in the world right now, you could write a fucking short novel if you wanted to, but rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, uh, in the iTunes store, whatever the fuck it is. But look up the podcast, This Is M, and write us a review. Give us a five-star review and type a couple sentences about why you like the show. Um, that influences people as they're sort of perusing around or if they're thinking about checking it out. You know, reading a good five-star review will tip the scales for them. So please do that for me. That would really mean a lot to me. And I like reading them. It makes me feel good. It lets me know that I'm connecting with people. And we've read a few of them on the podcast. So um, if that incentivizes you. Otherwise, if you want to connect with the show, you can on Instagram and Twitter at thisismpod. Uh, you can find the website at thisismpod.com. And you can shoot us an email at thisismpod at gmail.com. Uh, otherwise, uh, look up my artist name on Spotify, M, the heir apparent. That's the letter M, the H-E-I-R apparent, and stream the playlist of all my original music from 2019 called Gentleman Caller. It's featured right on the profile. Um, yep, that's it, folks. Thanks so much. I enjoyed this one. I put it off, but I'm glad we got around to it. So thanks for listening. Um, thank you for your time. And ciao for now. <laughs>